getting you set for everything Cardinals. In his second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with Danny Mack. Out there. On 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com. Welcome in to the Redbird Report. My name is Dan McLaughlin, and we do this every Monday on 101 ESPN. My guests tonight will include, later in the show, Brian Walden of thecardinalnation.com. will take a look and break down what happened in the Cardinals draft. And the primary guest of this show will be Matt Holliday. I do town halls with the St. Louis Cardinals. Last week, it included Brian Jordan and Cardinals Hall of Famer Ray Langford. I also do Cardinals conversations. This one included what could be a future Cardinals Hall of Famer, and that is Matt Holliday. And uh, we're going to get into that. Will he get a red jacket? I think he will. And so we talked about retirement. Is he officially retired? Uh, What's happening now in his life? Raising four kids his involvement in the game, what might be his involvement with the St. Louis Cardinals, coming to the St. Louis Cardinals, what the Cardinals mean to him. So retirement, it's on the table right now. This is my conversation with Matt Holliday. I think I'm, you know, I hate the word retire just because I feel like at 40 years old and and as active as I am, the word retire to me means that, uh, you know, so, but yeah, I I think I'm I'm for sure done playing. Um, I'm enjoying being around my kids. I'm enjoying college coaching and, and being around those college kids. And so I'm in a good place for, for what I'm doing. Um, do I miss the game? I absolutely miss the game. I miss playing. I miss the competition. Uh, I miss the camaraderie of a group uh, trying to accomplish something as a team. Um, all those things that, that, that as an athlete, you just kind of, you know, I think you play sports your whole life. You envision yourself as an athlete. And, and I don't think that'll ever change. You know, I, I still play. Uh, basketball with friends and and I get super competitive sometimes I have to tell myself to chill out a little bit but uh, you try to feed that competitive spirit that you've had your whole life um, in different ways now and and uh, and so yeah to to say that yeah I I miss it I miss uh, the adrenaline rush of taking the field and and with your boys and, and trying to compete and win something and um, all those things are, are things that you you can't replace Tell me what it was like when you found out you were being traded to the St. Louis Cardinals. Relive that moment for me and our fans and what it was like for you and your family. When you, when you found out you were going to the Cardinals, what was that like? So, um, you know, it kind of went back to the previous offseason between 2009 and 2008 and 2009. Um, I knew uh, there was a really good chance that I was getting traded. I had some friends uh, – with the Rockies, uh, you know, that, that had kind of told me that it was about to happen. And I had some friends kind of with the Cardinals. And, and I knew uh, that even when I got traded to the A's, it was kind of down to the A's and the Cardinals. And it was going to be a package of, of prospects, whichever one uh, the, the, the GM at the time, Dan O'Dowd, ended up accepting. So I had my hopes up that at that point I was going to be traded to the Cardinals. Um, and, and, and ultimately ended up getting traded to the A's for the first four months of, of that season. Um, so when, you know, the trade deadline is, 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 is approaching, and in Oakland we weren't playing very well, and I knew that, um, you know, headed into free agency, I was probably going to get traded. Um, I had had some conversations some, with some go-betweens about, you know, potentially maybe getting traded to, to the Cardinals and, and uh, you know, that they had interest, and, and some players that were with the Cardinals were like, man, I think we're trying to trade for you. 
And so there was kind of this anticipation that, that I could potentially get traded to the Cardinals. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I had a meeting with Billy Bean and he said, you know, I'm not just going to give you away if, if I don't get the right package. I'll just, I'll just, you know, you'll, you can play here the rest of the year and, and I'll take the draft picks. And, and I was kind of discouraged. I thought, well, you know, maybe this won't happen. And um, so I, we were in New York uh, there to play the Yankees. I remember we were in a, in a hotel room in, in New York City and, and the, the cell service was not very good. And people were trying to get a hold of me on my cell phone and it was going straight to voicemail. And, and, and we kind of woke up and uh, almost, it seems like flipped on ESPN and, and kind of about that time I, I was able to, somebody got through and, and I think my, my, maybe my hotel phone rang and um, it was the, I think it was the A's, maybe, maybe it was Billy Bean. Um, telling me that they had they had traded me to, to St. Louis, and you know the the excitement, uh, the adrenaline, um, and then so you know five minutes later, you know you're talking to uh, C.J. Cherry, and, and they're making plans, and and I think maybe I talked to Mo first, uh, and then C.J. is is uh, on the phone trying to make the logistics work. They were in Philadelphia, Cardinals were in Philadelphia at the time, and C.J. is telling me how you know he's going to take the train, and, and our family, I had my family with me, and. And uh, Albert gets on on the on the phone, and he's like, "Get your butt up here! You're batting fourth tonight." You know, it was it was really exciting. Um, the the excitement that I felt from the players, from a guy like Albert Pujols, um, from CJ, and then the, talking to Tony and Mo, and and we were we were on basically the next train uh, from Philadelphia from New York to Philadelphia. You know, my family was with me, so we we jumped on the train. Uh, we, we got to the station in, in Philadelphia. My family went to the hotel and the car picked me up, took me straight to the ballpark. And, you know, I didn't have any of my stuff because it was all at Yankee Stadium. So I ended up uh, wearing, I think I wore Todd Wellemeyer's shoes because he was the only one that had <laughs> size 14. So I had Adidas shoes with a, with a pitching toe on them for that game. Uh, I used Albert's bat. Uh, I think I had Yachty or somebody else's batting gloves and I had somebody else's gloves. So I had none of my own stuff um, and basically just went out there and, and I ended up getting four hits and probably one of the more memorable days of my baseball career was, was that, that kind of phonetic, just, you know, rush to Philadelphia play, you know, press, press conference, batting practice, uh, you know, get out there. We won. I had four hits. It was, it was a tremendous uh, day and, and the excitement of, of getting traded to a, a, an organization like the Cardinals was uh, like I said, it was probably one of my favorite uh, days as a baseball player. I'm sure fans can't realize what it's like going into free agency for you and your family and how stressful that can be. I mean, money is one thing, but it's a stressful time for any athlete in any sport. And then all of a sudden, you did come back to St. Louis. Um, what was that like? And, and what was the deciding factor for you in coming back to St. Louis? And now in retrospect, how happy are you that you – you made that decision and then obviously had a great St. Louis Cardinals career. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you have this expectation of free agency, um, you know, what it's going to be like. Um, and like you said, it's, there's an excitement element to it of, of getting a chance to be here, the cases of other teams and, and, you know, to kind of picture yourself as a, in your family moving uh, to a city full time and kind of settling in and, and having a chance to have some security of knowing you're going to be a place um, you know, between five and, and eight years was, you know, kind of what I was looking at. Um, so I was super excited, but in those two months of, of or a month and a half of getting to play in St. Louis and the teammates 
and the environment and the fans and just kind of the atmosphere um, that you get to experience playing for the Cardinals. Um, I already uh, had the Cardinals high on my list. I, you know, as an opposing player, uh, the environment is tremendous, and you, you, you put that right at the top already. Um, but to get to experience being a Cardinal for that month and a half, uh, put them, you know, right – I wanted to sign back with the Cardinals, and I wanted that to happen. And I told Scott that, um, you know, all things being even closely remotely – uh, similar in contract structure that, that that's where I wanted to be. And so um, I think Adam at one point told me that if I signed somewhere else, he would peg me every time uh, <laughs> I came up to bat. Um, so I'd, I'd already built close relationships um, with Adam. And then I had known Skip Schumacher um, from hitting with him uh, a previous winter. And so I had already had some good friends uh, kind of built into that team. And um, it was, it was really a no brainer, Dan, uh, I, that's where I wanted to be. And when, when it gets to seven years and, and the money is, is, you know, more than you could ever imagine as a kid, um, it, was, it was an easy decision to, to sign with St. Louis. I was excited to be back. Um, I knew our team would be really good. I knew that, you know, obviously the history of, of, the, of the organization, um, that they would put a winning team, which was, you know, at the top of my list is I wanted to be in a, you know, a competitive environment every single year. Um, so it really checked all my boxes. Um, and, 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 you know, in, in retrospect, we win a world series. We played almost in the playoffs almost every year I was there. Uh, we were in the world series two times. Um, it was a, you know, the, the city treated me fantastic. Uh, we were able to have an impact, um, you know, with Cardinal Glennon and, and some of the, the organizations that we were involved with away from the field, um, really, couldn't have gone any better. I mean, I, would you have liked to have won maybe one or two more championships and, and really be spoiled? Of course. Um, but as far as my expectations of, of that contract and, and what I wanted out of my baseball career, uh, it was it was everything I could ask for more. And, and uh, like I said, uh, just I, I miss that being a St. Louis Cardinal and, and taking the field in front of fans like that and on a hot Saturday night and, and, you know, against the Cubs and at, at Bush stadium, uh, you know, that's just something in your life that you, you can't replicate. And so, uh, like I said, it was, it was, it worked out tremendously for me and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and talking to Mo and Mr. DeWitt, uh, I think it worked out really well for both sides. And, and, uh, I took a lot of pride in that. I took a lot of pride in, um, you know, that, that, that they put faith in my, me to give me that contract that I would, work as hard as I possibly could to, to make it good. And I think, you know, at the end of the day that both sides ended up uh, really happy with, with how that relationship, uh, you know, took place. This is the Redbird Report. That's Matt Holiday. More coming up on 101 ESPN. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. Matt, I, I get asked all the time in 20-plus years of doing baseball for the Cardinals, what's my favorite call? And I don't even hesitate. I say it's the Matt Holiday final home run, and it's not just because of the home run. It's because of the person that you are, so classy, an incredible ambassador of the Cardinals and the city, and to see you have that moment was remarkable. Can you describe that moment and what it means to you? You know, it, it was such a kind of um... – just a, like a crazy, maybe 24 hours where it kind of just came to me that, um, you know, if, if this is it, you know, if this is the, the last um, weekend of my Cardinal career, I wanted to make sure that, that I could have some, some interactions <clears throat> with, with the people 
um, that I might not see in person um, ever again, or, or even, you know, ever, hardly often um, with, with a lot of the people that work in the clubhouse and the people that you spend eight years with. Um, so I just went to Mo basically and said, you know, kind of candidly, what's, what's the plan? What's the, what's the plan going forward? And he, you know, he told me basically that, you know, it didn't look like that they were going to pick my option up and to go ahead and, and, and say, you know, your goodbyes or your thank yous and, and whatever that um, looks like. And, and then talking to Mike and, and Mike said, you know, I'd love to get you that moment, uh, get you in a bad, you know, my thumb was broken and, and still not, not healed. I hadn't done much, wasn't able to do much, tried to come back. Uh, my hand was still very sore. Um, so taking it back really, especially since we were still in the, in the race. And, and I think we went right down to the last day uh, and, and, and still in, in, in the chance to get to the playoffs. I didn't really foresee a moment like that happening. And, and so it got to the seventh inning, which was ironic. And I think um, there was a lot of sevens involved, I think, you know, and, and looking back on it and then, you know, the, to get that at bat, Mike says, Hey, you're hitting first, you're leading off the inning. And then, you know, the butterflies kick in and, and you I know, run down to the cage and just try to take a few swings to make sure uh, I don't embarrass myself. And, uh, you know, the, the at bat, you get down 0-2 and, and the count. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I you know, I tears in my eyes, the, the appreciation, I don't want to skip that, the, the, the standing ovation, um, the appreciation from the fans and just kind of soaking in that moment before I even stepped in the box and you see your teammates, you know, uh, on the on the top step clapping and even you know the opposing team to some degree was was clapping and 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 Clint Hurdle the manager on the other side is clapping and uh just kind of soaking in that moment before I even got in the box uh, I wanted to remember that vividly um so I you know I remember that with tears kind of in my eyes and I'm like you know I got to get in here and compete and kind of get get past this moment and, and do what I've always done and I remember having sort of this kind of okay, I, you know, once you get in the box, I've, I've been in this box, you know, more than I've been in any other batter's box in, in my whole life and, and the background and, and everything I'm used to, you know, and it feels more comfortable. I'm, I'm okay. I get down 0-2 and I'm like, well, th you know, I don't, can't strike out here. That would be so anticlimactic that it, that would be embarrassing. And, and, you know, I think it was a divine moment, Dan, to be honest. I think God gave me a, a moment to kind of close out my Cardinal career um, that, would, that would be memorable um, I think it was a gift, uh, you know, to hit that ball and I'm running to first and to see it go over the fence and then kind of just floating around the bases uh, to kind of a crazy environment, you know, almost a playoff atmosphere type home run, you know, with the crowd being that excited and, and, and getting to home plate and Matt Carpenter being there and then kind of having Yachty and Wayno waiting for me by the dugout and then Mike and, and, and all those guys that you know, you, you grind and you spend a ton of time with and, and you go through ups and downs in your personal life with and um, just really close friends and, and to kind of feel that uh, love from the crowd, from your teammates. Like I said, it was, it was like a – it was kind of a divine gift. I felt like God had his hand all over that. And, uh, and it, was, it was a great moment for me and, and, uh, and something that, like you said, I, every time I watch it or, you know, it's on Twitter or – something i see it uh it gives me chills i a couple more questions and i'll let you go and thanks for doing this matt um in terms of and you mentioned it earlier the impact that you made on so many people here in st louis with homers for health and, and cardinal glennon and it's an impact that that still carries so much uh today for families and kids uh, how does that rank in terms of personal milestones for you and your wife and your family 
a home run is really cool and that moment's really cool. Where, where does that rank in terms of the impact that you've made with people? Well, see, I would put that, you know, it's almost in a whole nother category. You know, you just, um, we just had a heart for, for families that are dealing with very, very difficult things and kind of just coming up with the idea and, and kind of just kicking it around and making it happen. And then all the support. And I think, you know, when you, when you talk about Cardinal fans and Cardinal nation and, and when you involve the team, and then you get a good cause and, and you get children and, and you get struggling families that are dealing with really hard stuff. And, and it was just really kind of a cool culmination of, of, of people um, that came up with the program that, 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 you know, executed the program. And then, you know, my teammates coming alongside and the fans and, and, um, you know, Mike Shannon pushing it so hard and you pushing it on TV and Mike on the radio and getting all the states involved. And really, um, like I said, that, that's a whole, it's a whole nother kind of category for me that, to, to be able to be part of something that has an impact on families and kids and, and um, try to do something with your platform um, that lasts, uh, that has eternal value. Um, that, that was so special obviously to our family and and to see we we still keep in contact with a lot of those families and lifelong friends that we've made through the program um is it like i said it's a whole nother um you know kind of place in your heart where you're just like you know that's that's something that's very very special to us and um you know we've been able to pass the baton down and that was important to us too that this wasn't about us or me or leslie or my family this was about doing things for the hospital and the kids that we could pass it down. So when I didn't play there anymore and nobody really cared who I was anymore, that this program would keep going. And, and so that was, that was the idea. And, and so far it's, it's gone really well. And we hope to continue to, to the fans to, to support it. And I, I, like I said, when you, when you go to the hospital or you see the videos or you see the impact that those, that the fans money is having on families and kids, uh, it makes you want to do things like that. And so um, hopefully it'll continue to grow. What would you like to do next in terms of trying to stay maybe connected with the Cardinals? Because I know you'd love to be sitting next to me in the booth. I mean, that's obviously a, a big, big part of your life and a part of the next chapter in your life as I see you smile. Because, I mean, obviously anybody would want to do that. I mean, I, of course, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so that's got to be another thing in your life to check off and, you know, I mean, come on, let's be honest. Or maybe get in uniform and coach, but you know what? What would you like to do next in your life? Well, you know, I, I think that right now, while my kids are still, you know, you miss a lot. You know, you miss a lot. I love playing baseball. I, like I said, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But you do miss a lot with your kids and your family, and your and you miss a lot of moments. And 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 so I'm really enjoying um, some of the freedom to kind of go and do. And and obviously, we've all kind of been stuck in the house. But I'm saying in general. Uh, I'm enjoying the freedom to be around my kids as much as, as possible. And then, um, you know, with the college thing that I'm doing now, I have a lot, you know, it's a, it's a lot less travel. Um, it's not as time consuming. Uh, it allows me some freedoms with, with my family. And, and, and so I've, I've enjoyed being around the game uh, and at the college level right now with, with uh, you know, young kids, 18 to 21, trying to help them um, reach their dreams and grow up as, as men from kids to men. It's a very, important time in their life. So I've enjoyed a lot of that. Um, I would love at some point to be part of the Cardinals organization doing something. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. You know, we have four kids and, and Reed is only six. And um, so 
I, I, I think, you know, I'm in a good spot right now with what I'm doing, but I have a passion, obviously, for the Cardinals organization. I have a passion for St. Louis. Um, and and, and I, I, I would love to be doing something. Uh, I miss, you know, the organization. I miss the, the pro game. But um, right now I'm in a, in a pretty good place with, with all the things that are most important to me. And a final question. Um, I always find it intriguing when – the Cardinals Hall of Fame rolls around how the current players, they do watch because it gets piped in the clubhouse and they see the ceremony. Um, and I think it's human nature. Guys watch it and they wonder. Adam Wainwright talks about it a lot. I've asked Yadi about it. I've asked Matt Carpenter. I'll ask you, have you thought about ever putting on that red jacket? Because if you go on the ballot, you're going to be a Hall of Famer and you should be. Have you thought about the Cardinals Hall of Fame? I mean, like you said, I think everybody, when you watch the, the ceremony and, you, and, you, and every opening day, um, when you get out of that truck or, or car um, and you get to shake hands with all those guys wearing red jackets, um, I, I think it's something that, man, that would be such an honor. And you hope that you play the game and, and, and you live your life in a manner that would, that would be worthy to be considered for, for something like that. So, um, when you look at those guys, those men um, that are in the Cardinals Hall of Fame with the history, the storied history of the organization and how many tremendously wonderful people and players that have come through the organization, um, to even be considered for that would be an honor. And if that happened, um, I, I would be obviously elated and, and uh, it would be, you know, right at the top of my career accomplishments in, in baseball. So, um, you know, I, I don't even know when I'm eligible, but if, uh, if that were to happen, that would be pretty awesome. Matt, great catching up with you. Thank you for everything you did for the Cardinals and for the city of St. Louis, most importantly. Great to see you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and awesome to catch up with you. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem, Dan. Always, always a pleasure to be with you. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. Again, we do this every Monday night at 6 on 101. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation with Matt Holiday. Now we shift gears to the stars of tomorrow. Brian Walton joined me from thecardinalnation.com. His specialty is the minor leagues and the draft. And we talked about the Cardinals draft of 2020. Just how good was it? Well, I think what the Cardinals did surprised a number of us in that they took some risk. Their first three picks uh, were all teenagers, 18, 18, and 17 years old, respectively. So high school players uh, who, you know, will need longer to develop but have a higher ceiling than a number of the college players, a typical college pitcher that the Cardinals were sort of known in the past for, for taking. So they took some chances, and uh, based on what some of the observers said, they had a very good draft. CBS gave them an A score. Uh, Eduardo Perez, the ESPN analyst who was live, uh, said that he felt that the Cardinals had the best draft of any of the 30 teams. So, you know, of course, the proof will be when they actually finally get on the, the field, which doesn't look like it will be until 2021. But on paper, at least, it looks like while the Cardinals took some chances, they look like some very decent chances. And later in the draft, they filled out with more of the kind of players that you would expect they would uh, to have a very balanced draft considering it was only seven picks. I love the young man that had a commitment to go to Duke. His mother went to Wash U right here in St. Louis. Father, an MIT product. Uh, and this young man had a 3.9 GPA, third baseman. He's a six-foot-five product, great athlete, big arm. And uh, they think that this kid could be really, really good. Tell us about the first-round pick. 
Uh, yeah, Jordan Walker from uh, Decatur, Georgia, uh, 6'5", 220. What the Cardinals like most about him is that he has big power potential, not only in size, but also in his capability. He was ranked the number two high school prospect in the entire draft, according to Perfect Game, and that included pitchers. So for him you know, to fall to the Cardinals at number 21 was, was a great opportunity for them. He runs a 6'5", 640. Uh, he pitched. So he has a, and he threw up 93 mile an hour fastball. So he's got a great arm to play third base where he'll be with the Cardinals. And um, when we had the opportunities immediately to speak to Jordan Walker and his family uh, draft night, I asked him to scout himself. And he basically said, Hey, you know, I'm really great at pitches in, but I'm working on my coverage on the outside of the plate because I want to be a complete hitter. Uh, just a very, very impressive young man, as you mentioned, uh, comes from a great family. Uh, the question will be his draft slot money is about $3.1 million. You know, what's it going to take uh, for the Cardinals to sign him? Clearly, uh, it's seen from what he said and what his dad said that their intent is for him to join the Cardinals, but they still have to work out the cash. Would he project as a third baseman at that size, or would they move him to the outfield? At this point in time, uh, folks are saying that he's got the arm. I think his movements will be the key. You know whether he'll he'll have the agility necessary, but a guy who runs a six five six forty right now, uh, you know, I I think based on what we know, little we know right now, uh, the belief is that yeah, he can stay second third. Yeah, and, and when you think about a guy that could be a two way player and he's got a big arm like that, that are, are you talking about him just exclusively being a power hitter? And when you're eighteen, do they even think about putting him on the mound that early in a career, or is he just exclusively a position player? No, uh, they're saying that Walker is going to be a, uh, a hitter only, a third baseman only. But their second pick, uh, Mason Wynn, is a guy that they believe can be a two-way player. So he may be the first uh, two-way player that, you know, formal one that comes up through the system. And the interesting thing about Mason Wynn is that he is a shortstop. So he plays at, you know, obviously the most important defensive position on the infield and has near elite bat speed at, at offensively, but on – and he's only 5'11", but on the mound, he can touch 98-99. He's got a, a plus slider, and he's working on a changeup. And another guy that runs a 6'540". So an incredible athlete in Mason Wynn. And he will, in fact, uh, and, and there's a lot, Mosaic, John Mosaic talked with us about, you know, the pressure that he's going to face, you know, trying to serve two masters. But the Cardinals uh, are, are ready to let Mason Wynn give it a shot. Brian, and that's exciting. Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com with us on 101 ESPN talking about the Cardinals draft. How about three, four, and five in those rounds? Where where did the Cardinals go in, in that direction in terms of the draft? Well, before they went to three, four, five, they had a competitive balance round, a competitive balance pick, and a compensation pick for the loss of Marcelo Zuna. Took another high schooler, Tank Hens, a right-handed pitcher, a 17-year-old, so it's going to take some time, but interesting potential. And then Alec Burleson, a, an outfielder from East Carolina who has already signed, and uh, again is another guy that was a two-way player in college, but a left-handed bat has some power potential. Then in the in the final uh, in the third and fourth rounds, they took pitchers. They took a pitcher from Oklahoma, Levi Prater, and a Missouri pitcher, Ian Bedell, who a lot of folks know uh, locally. Again, both these young men, while they were um, college juniors, they're only 20 years old, so a lot of development potential. Uh, Prater's a left-hander, Bedell's a right-hander. So uh, both of them, you know, have some opportunity to step into the system and help fill some of that pitching gap. Their final pick in the fifth round, an outfielder from Long Beach State, uh, L.J. Jones the fourth or Leonard Jones, um, 
had a great freshman year at Long Beach State, but then was injured most last year, and then this year only played, of course, in a handful of games. But is again, a, another raw, uh, raw talent, only 20 years old, looks like he has some power potential, and like Burleson, Jones is the second player that the Cardinals have announced it signed, and he also signed under slot. So by getting Burleson and Jones under contract, the Cardinals have already put aside close to half a million dollars that they're going to use to sign one of these other five players that, that haven't come on board yet. Brian, what did you see that teams did that the virus dictated with this draft, with this being only five rounds and signability and all the different things going on with kids saying, well, maybe I'll go back or maybe I should come out. What, what did you see the, the direction of the draft go this year because of, of this being so odd? Well, as, as expected, the number, the percentage of high school picks were down overall uh, because of the options that, that players have to go back. Um, but the Cardinals were sort of, you know, moved against that grain uh, by picking, uh, you know, their first three picks as high schoolers. The other thing that I've learned in, in talking with some of the non-drafted free agents that have signed after the draft, the guys that you know, weren't picked in the first five rounds, is that even though they only get $20,000 each to sign, you know, they're happy to take that because they know that the analytics that major league teams have are very, very focused on the age of the player. And so that while a junior or a college senior get another year of eligibility, they can't stop the age clock. So instead of being 22 years old this year, they're going to be 23 years old next year. And that makes them at 23, makes them less appealing to a major league organization than at 22. And so some of them are willing to take less money to get started on their professional career sooner. Now, the reality is, how much sooner can they really get started if games won't be able to be played till next April? And that's a, a different uh, point for a different times. But certainly all these young men who have been signed by the Cardinals or will be signed, you know, will get an opportunity to be indoctrinated into the organization and begin their training and development program under Cardinals, the Cardinals player development uh, staff under Gary LaRock, which they wouldn't if they stayed in school. Yeah, what, what people may not know is that there's the five rounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, and then it's almost like free agency. You can sign for $20,000, and uh, you can sign with any team. What, what has that been like, seeing the, the, the recruitment of these kids? And some of these guys are, are good players. I mean, the Cardinals made hay on very good players that made it to the big leagues that were not top five-round picks. Uh, what has that been like around Major League Baseball to see these kids get signed? It's really interesting, Dan. Um, Baseball America has done a good job of compiling the lists as they're announced. And what you see is a huge difference in how organizations are approaching this free agency of, of these non-drafted players. There have been at least three organizations who have not drafted a single player, or not, sorry, not signed a single non-drafted free agent. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got teams like the Royals and the Red Sox and the Cardinals who have picked up eight players, eight, you know, potentially very, very good players at $20,000 each, very, very low investment. And I just don't get why these other organizations are sitting on the sideline while these other teams are scooping up good talent. And I give the Cardinals credit for, you know, it would be easy to lay back and say, well, you know, we got to get rid of all these minor league teams anyway. You know, we're not going to we're not going to sign players, but they're not. They have picked up already eight um, non-drafted free agents, actually more than they drafted. They drafted seven. And, uh, you know, that gives them, again, uh, you know, another leg up in the development side. And they picked up, I think it's four pitchers, a couple outfielders, a third baseman and a catcher. So now we're to 15 players and it feels less like a truncated year. Certainly 
15 players are still fewer than would have been drafted in a normal year, but it's not just five rounds. Now the Cardinals have 15 players, assuming they sign everybody that, you know, will be joining the system. How are they recruiting them? What are they doing? Well, they went through the same process that they went through for draft. I mean, it, you know, they, they scouted the players, they evaluated their tools, they assessed their signability. But then of course the, the, the next dimension is, Hey, you know, if you're not drafted, are you willing to sign for $20,000? And that's a, a huge decision. And in that case, you know, the onus is on the player to say, hey, do I want to sign with the Cardinals? Do I want to sign with the Indians? Do I want to sign with the, but the I'm, Padres? I mean, but I mean, like, Who do what, I want to sign with? Yeah, but I mean, like, what are they saying to, to make them in, entice them to go to St. Louis or to <clears throat> Team X? Why are, why are they saying, hey, come here. This is the right spot for you. Well, the, the standard answer that we get is that the players look at the opportunity. They look at the history of the organization and how they have – fostered and run player development are they serious about it you know have they done a good job in getting um, you know non-top drafted players to the major leagues and the Cardinals have a good reputation there now one of the other areas that has differentiated <clears throat> some organizations is that a couple of the organizations specifically the Blue Jays the Cubs are paying minor leaguers a little higher uh, salary the Giants also are giving a, a stipend to minor league players for housing it doesn't look like that's come into the decision process yet, but I know if I was a young man, I'd be looking at those things as well. In terms of now, if you sign and there's no minor league baseball, what can you do this year specifically for player development? So you're one of those top five uh, round picks and you're maybe one of the 20,000 uh, signees. What are you doing in terms of this summer trying to stay sharp? Well, I'm sure the Cardinals, once they're signed, I'm sure the Cardinals will evaluate them and they'll bring them in for a physical course and they'll give them some type of development program and they'll be watched and monitored and counseled just like the regular minor league players. I think, you know, one thing that's been talked about and, and is probably on the back burner until Major League Baseball solves the bigger issues, but was the potential of an expanded Arizona Fall League type of development program that might be might play later this summer, maybe a little earlier than the fall, that would allow an organization to bring in a full roster of players, not just six or seven or eight. And I would just guess, and again, this is completely my speculation because nobody's talking about it yet, but if I were the Cardinals and I were to bring in a roster of 25, 30 players, I would certainly include those seven draft picks in there to get some indoctrination into the system and maybe you know play a little uh, you know backfield baseball uh, before this 2020 year is out. Man, this is crazy stuff. Brian, this is great stuff, and I appreciate it. I'm sure you're working busy uh, and being busy right now. With This is right <laughs> up your alley with what's happening, and you'll have it covered at thecardinalnation.com. What, what are you working on right now? Well, the, what folks can see uh, when they come will be uh, most recently uh, we're assessing where these seven players, assuming they sign, would fit in our Cardinal Nation top 50 prospect list. So, you know, where does Jordan Walker fit when you consider him against uh, Andrew Kisner or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jake Woodford or any of the other guys in the in the system? So we're placing all these guys in the top 50, and we'll be sharing that logic uh, with readers. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll catch you up next week. Take care, Dan. That's Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. Back with more on the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We have heard from Matt Holliday about his Cardinals career and maybe a future role with the St. Louis Cardinals. Brian Walton on the recent 
draft and how the Cardinals fared. And as I mentioned earlier, I do the Cardinals conversations weekly as well as the Cardinals town hall virtual meetings. And this past week, we had Cardinals Hall of Famer Ray Langford and two sports star Brian Jordan. One of the issues in the sport that we got into was African-Americans in the sport of baseball. How do we get them more involved in the game? And both had some great thoughts about how to get more African-Americans in the sport of baseball. Well, it's because, you know, you know, the African-American kids playing the sports that they, that they see they self in. Yeah, you see, they see, yeah. you see, you see more African-American playing football and, and uh, basketball. So that's what they see all the time. You know, like a lot of times in baseball, they'll say, oh, that's, that's African-American, but uh, he's Spanish. But right. you don't have as, you know, when I was back in the ni- early 90s, there was a lot of African-American players in, in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of African, you know, young kids playing the sport. But now and we're in the, the 2000s, there's less African-American players and the kids are, are, are gravitating to what they're familiar with, okay. what looks like them. And that's right. that's in yeah, basketball, and that's what you're seeing in football. And you don't see it as much in baseball anymore. Yeah, I mean that, that's definitely the case. Uh, and, and you know, even for us coming up, we saw more African Americans in baseball at the time. So we kind of still love the game of baseball. Uh, and it's also about opportunities because there's a lot of really good African American baseball players just not get that opportunity to go to Division One schools. You know, because they're not getting recruited in the inner city. Uh, so that their choice is going to an HBCU or a Division two or three, where scouts are not going to go out and see as much. So it's about opportunity, too, because I, I truly believe there's a lot of African-American American baseball players out there that just that are really good enough to get drafted, but just not seen. My understanding... Oh, go I ahead. Was out of, I was sorry about that, but I was drafted out of junior college. So you know, back then, so you don't see it happening a lot now. Like they just say, you know, you're not at a D1 school, they're not really looking at you as, as much, unless you unless you just some phenom coming out of high school, unless you're Ken Griffey or somebody like that. But you know, those kind of guys. But other than that, you get overlooked. Can you guys? Talk to coaches. Could you talk to scouts about that? I mean, what what can we do to try to grow the game in that regard? Well, I mean, it goes back to what we're fighting for today in Black Lives Matter, uh, and that's opportunities. It's, it's not a lot of blacks in the front office of baseball. And so we don't have the opportunity yet. We can be really good on the baseball field. And, you know, a lot of us are college-educated, but – you know, we're not asked to join the party. And again, it goes back to having that opportunity to be able to put the black faces in the front office that may draw more African-American interest in the game of baseball. I know, BJ, you had the chance to talk to Hank Aaron the other day, did you not? Yes, yes, on Facebook Live, it was awesome. What did did he have to say? Well, Hank, you know, he's, he's frustrated, you know, because Heck, he paved the way for African-Americans to play this great game. And to see where it's gone to now, uh, you know, he's, he's just honest, man. It's, it's, it's pitiful. It is pitiful, downright pitiful. And, and, and he agrees. I mean, it starts in the front office. You know, players, kids have to see 
African-American faces out there on the field and out there in the front offices making some decisions uh, to have that hunger to play the game, to be a part of it. And Ray said it. I mean, they're turning on the TV, they're looking at the NBA, they're looking at the NFL, and they're saying, well, I'm going to try to play those sports because there's no place for me in baseball. So that has to change. Is there a player that needs to step up and be that guy right now, you think, or what needs to happen? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, and Bruce Maxwell, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I am. He's with the Oakland Athletics. Yes. And when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Took a knee and I had a conversation with him because I felt like, you know, we need you in the game of baseball as an African-American. And it wasn't his place as a rookie to take that knee at that time because he didn't have any clout. He didn't, you know, he didn't have time in. Right. He had no time in. And he's out of the game right now. And he was a really good player. So that tells you a lot right there. You know, for an African-American to make a mistake right there, you're gone. You're blackballed. In, in a game that don't have African-Americans playing the game anymore. So you got to be really careful. I mean, you look at a guy like Tim Anderson, shortstop for the White Sox, great player, but he's very young. And, you know, I would make the suggestion to him, hey, you got to pave the way for the next generation. So we need you on the field. So you can't mess up. Yeah. You know, so that's the situation we're in right now. Because what is it? One or two percent African-American playing Major League Baseball now? I mean, that's that's crazy. Is that hard for you guys to see that? <clears throat> yes. Yeah. It is. It's, 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 you know, we're not surprised. Yeah. Because I know you guys yeah. love this game. I know you well, love it. I love this game, man. It's been, been going in that direction for a long time. Yeah. But it didn't just start. It's been going in that direction for a long time. So it's just, it's just, it's just finally coming to surface. Ray Langford, by the way, so proud to be a member of the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame. And Brian Jordan, 15 years of a major league career working on the broadcast, by the way, for the Atlanta Braves, living down in Atlanta. And he says he considers himself a St. Louis Cardinal. Very cool to have the chance to visit with those two. Many thanks to Ray and Brian and Brian Walton and also you for listening and Matt Holiday Again, every Monday, it is the Redbird Report. I'll be with you tomorrow on Scoops with Danny Mack. We'll come your way at 10. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Thanks for listening to the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. That was the Danny Mack Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com.